0: Hey there, it's Denny and Luis.
1: Hey everybody!
0: So Boston's been buzzing with excitement lately. Carol G came to town recently and we've got more amazing artists like Luis Miguel and Yo-Yo Ma performing soon. Are you looking forward to any guest artists this semester?
1: Absolutely! I recently watched a Zoom interview with film-scoring composer Ramin Giovanni. He studied at Berkeley too and shared his inspiring journey. He emphasized practice, enjoying life, and the unique path each of us follows.
0: Having the opportunity to see and interact with all of these great guest artists is made possible by the support of our donors. If you too want to help enhance our Berkeley experience, please visit Berkeley.edu slash giving. Your contribution matters.
1: See you next time, everybody.
0: Hello
2: everybody. Welcome to another episode of Berkeley Alumni's Past the Mic. I'm Jaquel.
1: And I'm Patrick Pharma. Jaquel doesn't like the way I introduce myself. I try it everything I love different, it. But she doesn't like it. <laughs> you know, we're a work in progress.
2: Yeah, we're getting there slowly but surely. Today, we have a great interview with Seth Saltzman.
1: Who is he? Seth is an Alumni Achievement Award recipient, and he is the Senior Vice President of Global Services for ASCAP. I think it's kind of interesting to hear what Seth has to say, because Seth started off... In the industry when it was really analog, you know, so it was like linear tape, you know, r- monitoring music on the radio with like a pen and paper. And um, now we're on the cusp of AI taking everything over. So it's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition of where we are now versus how it started.
2: He has some great like input of just like, like you said, just being able to see how things have changed. So he definitely gives great input on where he sees things
1: going right yeah no and he's and he's super nice and he's super authentic and um, he does a lot of work for berkeley um you know doing visits and talking to students and everything so i say this a lot but i do think that alumni achievement award recipients really are um very genuine people and because of the way that they carry themselves their success leads to great things so um Let's hear your interview with Seth Saltzman.
2: Yes. Enjoy. All right, everybody. We have Seth Saltzman. Hello. Welcome. How's it feel to be back in Boston?
3: It feels great to be back in Boston. I love Boston. I've loved it. Uh, I've been here so many times, but I had never only been here once before college started. Uh, I wasn't a place that I traveled to with my family. Came up to Boston in, you know, 76 to see the college for the first time. And it was got to be here. Got to be here. <laughs>
2: so where thing. are you from?
3: I am from New Jersey. Born and bred in Jersey City, New Jersey. And lived in Jersey all my life.
2: Oh, wow. OK, so Boston's not too far from home, right? So no, it, was it just... wasn't
3: that bad. You
2: yeah. Know,
3: a couple hundred miles away.
2: That is awesome. So what is one of your favorite memories of Berkeley?
3: Favorite memory of Berkeley? Certainly... The early days are a great memory of Berkeley, of just the the incredible discovery of music with people my age, people older than me, people from all over the world. Not all just it wasn't just kids from New Jersey. It was <laughs> right. like, oh, this guy from England, this guy from Germany, kids from Japan and France, and it was it was just extraordinary to be. Just thrown into that. So the first few days were a whirlwind that I remember very, very well. Wow. I mean, I, I can really remember getting there and freaking out my first couple of days that I was from a small school, very small high school with no music program whatsoever. And I come to Berkeley and before the placement exams, as they did back then, was when it wasn't an audition school, you got placed at your level in, in performance, in theory, in, uh, in harmony. In, in was arranging. it a test? Yeah, they actually okay. gave you placement tests wow. and you found out where you stood. Uh, so um, my first couple of nights there, all these kids are talking about all the harmony they took and the bands they played in. Uh, hum, hum, hum. I was a little intimidated, overwhelmed, right. mm-hmm. but I wasn't leaving. Right. So I did it. So that's a the, the early days were a great memory. Uh, then getting more confidence in myself to take different courses as the years went on. Phenomenal memories of performing. In different, in very different things. I did some big band ensembles. I did musicals and plays because we, Berkeley had no theater then. We weren't associated <laughs> with the conservatory. Right. I did The Odd Couple. I did everything. Uh, funny thing happened on the way to form in the Performing Arts Center. I worked with a theater group. We called ourselves the Pumpernickel Players. We did plays at a, at a space outside because the college wouldn't even give us a space to do shows. Yeah, it was it was the old days, but uh, great memories of friends uh, that I made here and and just learning stuff I didn't know.
2: Right. Um, I think that's really cool that you was able to like kind of just expand your horizons. Like at first, like you said, you didn't have any backgrounds. And then here, you know, you want to get your foot wet in every aspect of like the music industry. Um, Last night, you kind of spoke on how it wasn't just um, the teaching and the lessons that you learned inside the classroom. It was kind of like the the bonds that you were able to build with other students. Can you explain more about that? Like, do you still keep in contact with students from when you attended here? How was that relationship?
3: Yeah, I have not a 100 close friends from Berkeley, but I, I probably have a dozen or so people that I went to school with that I'm, I'm still in touch with and a few that I'm really good friends with all these years later, including uh, Peter Gordon, who was head of Berkeley West Coast, uh, colleague, other other friends that I made here who are just from Massachusetts, from California, from Florida, uh, that we, we stayed in, we stayed in touch. And it wasn't easy to stay in touch because right. I graduated in 1981. There was no email, there was no internet, so I idiot. have my my little black book of like, give me your phone number. Yeah, you know, how am I going to find you later? Right. Uh, and and it really worked out that a few years. And I don't think they do anymore. But there were Berkeley directories that came out, mm-hmm. these red cover hardcover books with the directories of of alumni. And and, uh, they helped me find people again. And then Facebook, you found everybody right? (laughs) And and it reconnected with people around the world from Berkeley that that I had lost touch with. But the student connection was important. Equally important for me was my connection with my teachers because it was such a small school and there were no 300 seat lecture halls at Berkeley. You sat in a room, as you well know, with Nine, 10, 15 students in these small rooms and your teachers right there. And they were very accessible. And I quickly latched on as a 17, year 18 year old. I want to get to know these teachers if they're willing to take some extra time with me and talk. And um, yeah, I stayed in touch with quite a few of my teachers, including John Aldridge, who was with me last night who was my songwriting teacher in 79 uh, until the end. Um, Neil Olmsted, who was my private lesson teacher, who's still here. We're we're in touch and still friends. And Don Wilkins, the former head of the film scoring department. So, yeah, those, communi- those connections I made with my f- fellow students and faculty. I, I don't think many colleges are like that. Well, bigger schools would be really hard for student to get to know that many professors closely.
2: Yeah, that's awesome just to see how the growth of your relationship has been since like the beginning you never you know when people say when you go to college you're building lifetime relationships and then just to see that play out is something you know people always look forward to can you explain a little bit more i know you talked about this last night but can you explain a little bit more how you've made like your bit from working in the music or with the music instruments but then moving over into like the business side of music
3: sure so uh, you know if, if the college uh i was playing for any singer that needed a piano player. I was doing all, all sorts of cabaret stuff in New York for anybody who who needed me. I was like, okay, let's do, let's go, let's play. Uh, and I was teaching music in Jersey city first in uh, public schools, then in parochial school and started doing shows at the same time. And, but I had this thing about, I knew about ASCAP, I knew about the business and it was a well-known job among musicians in New York that, you could go in and be a tape monitor and listen to the listen to tapes of radio stations <laughs> and identify songs fast. You know, we talked yeah. about it last night. That uh, I, you know, she was great describing the 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 job that I had of listening to music to identify the songs so that we could pay royalties to the writers and publishers. But what she didn't actually describe was. We need to do that really quickly. I couldn't sit there and listen to the whole song. So you'd listen, hear a song, American Pie, Don McLean, wow. fast forward next. Uh, how would you
2: train yourself to be so quick at that then?
3: Well, first of all, I know, I knew, I know a lot of songs. Oh. Uh, okay. And I had like instant recall of, oh, I know what that is. It, I, we didn't talk about name that tune. It was an old game show, yeah. but it was more, it was more like Shazam. Like how, okay. My kids used to play in the car with me, you know, who's faster, dad or Shazam, you know, and, and they would hit Shazam and see if I could get the song faster than Shazam could get it. <clears throat> I don't want to brag, but you No, I was good. At, I was good at it. Uh, yeah. And I had that recall. Could I do it now? Music has passed me by, I think <laughs> in, in some ways, but there was that moment in time in, in the mid eighties where put it on, but what was fun about it was how do you do research? If you don't know the song, what do you do? If you don't know the song, And it was an extraordinary group of really bright music maven nutcases who just knew every song, whether they knew country music or gospel or rhythm blues or Broadway show tunes, pop, jazz, because it was everything. The tapes just came through. Oh, Here's a a tape from Philly. Here's a tape from uh, from Atlanta. Here's a tape from South Carolina. Here's a tape from Arizona. And you're going to hear Latin music in Miami. Spanish language music is different than Southern California Spanish language music, right? Uh, so, a lot music, of different genres. Well, yeah, a lot of different genres. Very regional, which you don't have anymore in radio. But back then, it, everything is the same. Now, you, you could drive your car from here to California, yeah. and every every town's right same station. And
2: even like they have recordings playing on different radio stations. Like I know the radio station in Boston sometimes plays radio stations from New York, you know, or like the whole iHeart Radio syndication area. I don't know. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah. It's playing the same thing all over the place. So I I, had, I pivoted. I, I decided cold stop on being a teacher. I quit the job. I applied for the ASCAP job, took the tests, started in late 84. And when I got there, I realized this is a fun job. It's really cool. But it's not something I want to do for the rest of my life. This per job in particular, because right. I, first of all, I don't, I don't lose my hearing to sit there with headphones on, <laughs> listening to eight, for eight hours, right. listening to maybe 11 or 12 hours of music in eight hours, you know, fast forwarding, listen, listen, right? and, and it's very one thing job, listen to music, write it down, listen to music, right. great job, essential then, yeah. but it's like, there's something else here. And that's how I started at ASCAP, volunteering with other departments, finding out, What's going on outside my area? What do you do over there? How does this work at ASCAP? Why do we do it that way? Really making myself available to other people.
2: That's awesome. So what is your favorite part of your position right now?
3: Easy. Um, being head of the senior VP of global services, I work with ASCAP members. I work with writers, composers, songwriters, publishers. Right. Uh, of all stages of the career, young kids who just started out, to major, major writers of of the great American songbook, of film, of uh, you name it, from successors to composers who passed away. So people who were big writers in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s who are gone, but their grandchildren are still earning royalties. So that connection one-to-one with ASCAP writers and publishers is so important to me. It's really my favorite part of the job. Why why am I able to do that mm-hmm. at ASCAP? Because of Berkeley, because I know music. So with all the things that I learned at ASCAP about royalties, about the distribution, about the music business, every time something happened to me at ASCAP, it was because, well, I'm also a music guy. I also have that music thing in the background. And that mattered to the senior people at ASCAP as I was coming through the ranks. So, yeah, he knows what he's doing to ask up, but he also knows music. Do you ever hear him play piano? You know, and, then, and, and I could talk to you, and this is serious, because mm-hmm. you sit and talk to a writer about their royalties and their business and their copyrights. And you have that moment of, well, I'm also a musician. I'm also a player. I went to Berkeley. Like the, the, your, your credentials just break everything down. It's like, oh, we can talk. Right. We can talk.
2: So you're able to like relate to the artists or the publishers or whoever kind of, they kind of feel like you understand them on another level.
3: I don't write songs for a living on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. like they do, but I know how, I know how to do, and I know what it takes to do it. And I I appreciate at a gut level of what they're doing and how important we are to their career at ASCAP. Their royalties may be their biggest source of their income because we, you know, we tend to think of ASCAP writers as performers. Well, they're not all performers. They're country, music, a lot of guys are just writers. You know, Diane Warren, we were talking about Diane Warren earlier today, you know, 13 Oscar nominations. She's not a performer. She has no records out, but she's got 13 Oscar nominations for best song. Most people don't know what she looks like. Yeah. You know, and, and royalties are her biggest source because she doesn't sell out Madison Square Garden. She doesn't put out 25 records. She has to write. And she relies on places like Ask
2: That's very interesting you say, because um, like every I just feel like there's always something going on in the music industry uh, business wise. Right. So I'm always seeing like social media posts about people claiming different songs are taking their hooks or their 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 beats, you know. So it's interesting when you talk about like the royalties and stuff, because it is so much Serious And everybody, you know, they want to be paid for <laughs> for their, um, you know, their services or for their creativity. Do you have anything to say about that or like what should people know? Go in, I guess students like in this business, um, how can they protect themselves?
3: There are quite a few ways of protecting themselves. First of all, the, joining a performing rights organization like ASCAP is really critical because if your music is played on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Broadcast radio, Sirius XM, you name it. I could just keep going on yeah, for the next half so hour about stuff. places your music can be played. If you don't join someplace like ASCAP or Performing Rights Organization, we license the music to all of those entities I just named and countless others. HBO, local TV.
2: So like networked. if they get used, if the songs get used in like a show or something.
3: The only way they're going to get paid is joining a Performing Rights Organization. And guess what? You can't, it's something you're allowed to do yourself. If a writer wants to say, hey, I'll, I, I'll license my own music, you're free to do that. Good luck. And, and, and then I mean in capital letters, good luck. Because, it's a process. Well, you're going to sit down. There are 13,000 radio stations in the United States. Are you going to go have a meeting with thirteen. send emails to 13,000 stations? They're going to tell you, take yeah. a walk. You know what they're going to tell you? Join ASCAP. <laughs> We already made a deal with them. We have a license with them. Why are you trying to do this by yourself? So it's critical that they do that, number one. Number two, when they're writing, do your paperwork. That's why songwriters at the beginning have to understand how this works. Register with the Performing Rights Organization. Send in your registrations. This is my song. I wrote it. And by the way, I published it. Mm -hmm. If you don't get a deal with a major publisher, which you probably don't on day one, you set up yourself as Seth Saltzman Writer. Seth Saltzman Music. Mm -hmm. I'll be my own publisher. Maybe it's right out of my house. I'm not building a business. But you have to take both sides of the the coin. Writer and publisher. You must do it. Third thing, if you're writing with other people, you must agree on the splits and the shares that day before you leave the room, before you start writing together. You have to agree because if you don't, guess what? Somebody's going to leave the room and register the work and maybe not put the shares in that you thought you were going to get. And now you need another person on your team and that's the lawyer or a boxer or you know <laughs> and and I don't know, you know yeah. and just never and I'll tell that in every panel I go to with young writers. If you're writing by yourself, have a good time. Great. Good for you. If you're writing with one other person, never mind five other people. Agree on the splits or we don't do the or we're not going to write today. 25 25 25 25? Good. Everybody's good. Let's write it down. Sign it. Everybody gets a copy and it's done because I, I couldn't be more. It's probably the most serious thing I ever talk about with writers is do not fool around with that because I've heard every bad story. I've experienced it. I've watched it and I've seen it happen. It's not nice. Wow.
2: I can only imagine.
3: So you got to do your homework. You can't be casual about it. Right. It, it's it's creativity. You're writing, you're producing. Great. And then it's the other side of it. Don't let it go because it, it's, it matters so much. Somebody's gonna to wanna to make money off that thing.
2: Exactly. And, and if you don't claim it, someone else will.
3: Do not get caught outside <laughs> of that door.
2: Yes, that is a great Sorry, point. Sorry
3: to be so firm on that.
2: No, one. I think that that's very important for people to hear and understand, you know, everyone wants to create and, um, you know, people think of the fame side of the music industry, but no one really thinks about like the business side of it, how people get their money, like special like streaming services and then um, sales and like all of that. I just think it's like it's just like a whole nother language, you know. So I think that's very important and very key for people to understand. So. Um, you have spoke a lot about um, how things were in the past and how things are right now. Where do you see the future of music business? How does that look like to you?
3: Question that's asked all the time. Uh, and have I the wisdom to say I know what it's, where it's going? Well, if you asked me 20 years ago where it would be now, I, I have to admit I would have been wrong. Where is <laughs> it going? I, I, I can answer that based on what I'm watching and what I'm seeing. And sometimes I say, this is an uninformed opinion. No, this is a very informed opinion, right? I, I've been doing this a long time. Where it's going is much, much more uh, as fast as I can get my music to my audience, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it to my audience on TikTok. I'm going to get it on YouTube. I'm going to get it to my audience on Instagram. Whatever I can do to get my music out fast, I'm going to do. Because there was a, long time in the music business where people didn't have the equipment you're interviewing me on right now yes. right where we can have a little studio with a little uh, digital recorder in front of us and we could be in my bedroom or the basement or right now and make a really pretty good sounding record yes. um, with the producer you know and, and just get it out drop it tonight and, and it's out there and your followers are picking it up and what are the majors going to do about that what do they want to do about that yeah. so I think you can't stop it. It's it's going to keep getting much more one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-personal, which is great for artists, but it's also rough. I mean, there's so much out there. And without a record store where you walk into the record store and you're, you're a young person, but you remember record stores. Uh, and when you walked in and you saw all these posters and signs featuring the Records of the Week, it's hard because if you only listen on your Spotify list or your Apple, I'm an Apple guy and not a Spotify guy. My kids are Spotify people, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, you keep getting fed to you what you've been, things like you've been listening right. to. the algorithm. The right. algorithm keeps saying, well, you listen to that yeah, all the time. So you must this like you. this. Well, right. well, maybe I don't, but <laughs> but it's not, also not flipping. You keep listening to this. Try this because yeah. you really should be there. That would be a cool thing, right?
2: Right. You know, yeah. I
3: know you love Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, but why don't you try listening to some of this jazz? because yeah. it would be a lot of fun. Something different. Um, so that that's that's the downside of what's happening. Is just there's just so much, and it's just the only 24 hours in a day, and you actually can't listen all 24. You have to take a nap. Um, so how are you going to get out there? And and the the attention for your ears and your eyeballs is okay. is relentless. Mm-hmm. It's relentless. Uh, there's stuff being driven at you all day long. All
2: day long. Honestly, day long. people's attention span is like eight seconds long, and you have to catch it. And I really appreciate you bringing up TikTok because TikTok seems to be included in a lot of um, musicians' kind of like rollouts, right? They're always trying to have some type of challenge behind it or stuff like that. So, do pe- when artists release music? on TikTok. Is that a way for them to get paid? Like are they getting paid by that?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, one of the great things about ASCAP is we are constantly emerging we're constantly uh looking for emerging technologies. And remember in the world of copyright, a company like TikTok would never have gone out there and just tried to launch TikTok without getting the proper rights in place. So we we were talking at TikTok very, very early on, having negotiations with them. And once we agreed on a license, we got the information, we got the license fees, the money. And we were able to say, OK, what music's being played on TikTok? And we did distribution. We've been doing distribution on TikTok for actually a little while already. So members are seeing money from TikTok fast. Right. Um, Especially if they and, go
2: viral, right? There's like a challenge attached to that song. Yeah, it's, it's,
3: it's <laughs> yeah. wild. I mean, but the, the, what, what's really fascinating about it, if you're a TikTok artist, you can't take a nap. I mean, you've got to keep pushing it out. Generating there, content. Generating huh? content. And because the nature of TikTok and the way people discover and the way it's pushed at you is uh, it's extraordinary. They, yeah. And somebody knew about TikTok. Somebody invented it, right? But right. most of us would have been like, oh, yeah, we knew about TikTok. That was going to happen. No. No. They were all lying. <laughs> they didn't know. <laughs> right. It's just new
2: and you just got to adapt to it, right? Something different. Do you have any advice to give to students today?
3: Now, the uh, advice for students is... You know what, I, let me break it apart. If you're a writer, write a lot. Write frequently, write with others, uh, write in different styles, write on an instrument different than your own, if you can. You know, if you're if you're a guitarist and all you ever write on is a guitar, learn a little piano and try to write a song on piano, and your hands will have to go to different places that they wouldn't normally go to on a guitar. And if you're a piano player, learn how to play guitar a little bit and you you'll be fumping around because you won't be as prodigious on guitar. So you'll have to maybe simplify some of the music because you can't play that well on guitar. And the same thing if you go from guitar to piano. Um, so for writers, write a lot because when you sit down with a, a singer who may be interested in your songs and you say, I've got these four and they're like, wow, those are really good. What else you got? And you play another one. What else you got? Play another one. What else you got? So you have to, if you're a writer, if you, in particular, if you're a writer, um, you've got to only want to be a writer. I mean, you can be a writer and a performer, but that writing has to keep on going. If you're a performer, yeah, you know how to play, you know how to sing, you know how to get up in front of an audience, you know how to get a band behind you. But that writing thing is a whole different ballgame. And uh, I've seen too many writers who, you know, put out 12 songs once every three years. Like, that's that's good. And the music is beautiful, but...
2: It's not that you,
3: good. <laughs> this, is not, this is not the 1970s and 1980s. Right. And I also tell people, I find it fascinating myself that, the album is gone, right? It's been gone for a long time. The vinyl record, the CD has been gone for a while. But a lot of artists are still intent on putting together 14 songs at a time.
2: Sometimes even more.
3: Or more. like.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: Why are you waiting around for 16? Your audience will take five.
2: Right. Get it out exactly. there. Exactly. And I
3: think the, the, the more successful ones are, let's drop this record with four or five songs. Let's go. I don't need to create this thematic thing that that I love growing up on I'm a, I'm of an age where you know listen to the Beatles or Sgt Pepper or Elton John goodbye yellow brick road an album that just two albums Stevie Wonder songs of the key of life it's just it's going somewhere You too, the Joshua tree just there's a there's a thing from the beginning to end there is a story there but that's because they were selling this two-sided 12-inch disc <laughs> that you needed to fill up with stuff
2: right you don't exactly. need to do that
3: anymore there's no there's no Above limit, lower limit, you can do whatever you want. So I'm just I find it curious that people are still like, I've got to put together this whole package. If you if that's what your goal is, good do it. But uh, don't get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in it and end up having five songs that really don't mean a lot. Why do you want to put out stuff it may be meaningful to you, but somebody's gonna just like keep hit, hit next.
2: Next, yeah. Next. It's not sticking.
3: They du- hit that double arrow, you're dead. <laughs> Single arrow. Mm.
2: <laughs> double arrow,
3: double arrow, they're on the end of the Yeah. Album.
2: Oh wow.
3: So advice for writers, advice for performers. Uh, good luck. Make a lot of money fast. Uh, I know, I, I don't be facetious. Performing is really tough now. It, it only gets tougher I think for a lot of younger bands who play in clubs. The live music business paid a lot better in the old days. I, I don't mean major tours. Major tours are a whole other story. But if you're playing small venues and they want to give you half of the bar that comes in or then they're only going to break even after you bring in 25 people, oh boy good luck. That's a, That's a that's a very hard way to make a living. So I wish them only luck. Because and, and don't stop, don't stop. But you need and you need to do it. And, and gas is four fifty five dollars a gallon. And, and so many
2: different and, factors that have. To yeah, weigh so into many it. different yeah. factors.
3: But but keep pushing. If you're in film scoring, get out there, hook up with a composer, do whatever it takes. If they just want you to write a few cues, do it, do it, do it. Just get out there. And but it, the cool thing about film scoring now, you can do it in New York, you can do it in Boston, you can do it in L.A. Uh, It's still mainly an L.A. thing for sure, but um, but it's obviously happening all over all over the world. But um, right. So the advice and if you want to go to music business, which is what I can speak best to uh, get in, get in. If you have to get in on the ground floor, get in on the ground floor. If you can come in as a senior VP, God bless you. There's nothing wrong with that, but don't expect that. On day one, even if you came out of Berkeley or, or UCLA with a music business degree, it, it just you're gonna you know what you're gonna miss a lot on the way up. If you only come in at that level, again, if if you did that, good for you. Yeah. But if you did that, you you know I learned about ASCAP from the ground floor. I didn't have a choice. They brought me. I I managed to get in on the ground floor, but I learned so much about the company on my way up that along the way. I hope it made me much more valuable as each year went by and each different thing I got to do. So.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure it contributed to yourself as a leader because people got to know you and got to know how you are and like, look at you now. So that yes. <laughs> so you did was awesome. Thank um, you very much. Do you have any last words you would like to say or to share with anyone? Do you have anything coming up? Any shows that you will be performing <laughs> <laughs> or putting on?
3: Yeah. Charity work with the organization I was involved with many years, Why Hunger? Always make a pitch for Why Hunger, whyhunger.org. Check us out. Uh, we are We don't directly feed people, but we are about getting to the roots of why are people hungry and how can we solve the hunger problem, not the direct, we got to get people food right now. Why is anybody hungry? That's the bigger problem to solve. So doing work with that and keep an ASCAP going the best I can. And uh, in these, in these trying times, a lot of competition, um, a lot of new emerging technologies that we have to keep watching out for and, uh, and, and the economy, you know, the way people listen to music, the economics of music. So there's a lot of challenges and a lot of great opportunities and it's very exciting, but it all started at Berkeley and how, <laughs> how exciting is that I can always uh, bring it all around that yes. I learned about Berkeley and come back to Berkeley and people from Berkeley come to ASCAP,
2: right. whether and they're help members help. or
3: their employees. So
2: yeah, students love you here you know you have great information to give to them so i know that they're very very appreciative and the alumni office is appreciative for you to be here we're so glad and honored that you came (laughs) and we hope that you had a great past couple days so thank you so much
3: thank you for the great questions and the great interview much much appreciated you're terrific
2: sure thank you you guys heard it here the best seth salesman bye Bye. (laughs) right, everyone. So that was the interview that we had with Seth Saltzman. It was so cool interviewing him and kind of just hearing and understanding all about his journey and his career. Hit us up on IG and let us know what you think the future of the industry looks like. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, including Instagram and Facebook. We are interested to know what you think so that we can maybe feature it on our next podcast episode.
1: And now is the time... I would like to call this segment. Ask the Mike." What do you think of that? What was yours?
2: I said questions for Kel, but
1: questions for Kel. <laughs> you don't like that anymore?
2: I do like it. We could try it out. <laughs> questions for Kel.
1: Well, let us know uh, on social and email which ones you prefer. Ask the Mike or questions for Kel.
2: Yeah, I like that. Questions for, for right. Kel. Because, you know, my name is Jaquel. So that's where the Q Q-U-E-L, questions for Kel. You get it? Yeah. And then, no, we, we <laughs> or ask it. the mic. Which one do y'all think?
1: Ask the mic, like pass the mic. Now you're asking the mic. That's your only two options. Anyway, so the question that we had for today was, how can Alumni Affairs help you connect in your area with other alumni? And Jaquel and I are doing an initiative where we are looking at our alum notes and we're looking at the different regions where people are uh, reaching out from. We have seen a number of folks in uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area we've been trying to reach out to. We've also noticed some people in the Pennsylvania-Philadelphia area. Really, the way we can help you out is if you come to us and let us know what's going on, if we can find a critical mass of people that are interested, then we could do a number of things. We could host an event we could come out and have meetings we could do some storytelling out there be a podcast or a, a short video or or anything like that so reach out to us and let us know what's uh, what's going on in your area especially now that we're kind of post pandemic hopefully you know people have moved around things are changing we'd love to know kind of where the little pockets of people are outside of the of the big regions that have been the tradition
2: connect with us let us know how we can help you connect with other people in this community we definitely are looking forward to hearing from y'all and we are excited to just see and catch up
1: all right and that's it and you know as always we like to play alumni music whenever we have a chance so to play us out today is soul packs which is julian and julia who graduated in 2016. And if anyone else is interested in having us play your songs at the end of the podcast episodes, please reach out on social email. You know where to find us.
2: Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed your time and be on the lookout for the next episode.
0: Sugar babe, I saw you me with that side of eye. You want to get into it, what I need. Something to light it up, and if you're down, then you have to prove it. Don't be mad, don't be mad, don't be mad when I get it. Cause I got my signal blinking, you can ride it or die, yeah. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need your permission. You your selection, why don't you take it to the floor? You can bring it on, bring it on, now. Drop it down and bring it on, bring it on, now the action so you should feel yourself a little more i might roll my window down for you if you get off the wall get off the wall oh yeah so don't be mad don't be mad don't be mad when i get cause i got that signal blinking you can ride or die yet I i don't need i don't need your permission and if you're still unsure Get to the floor You can bring it all